I really, really advocate getting uh, your MBA, especially if you're going to start your own business. It's such an important, just gives you a, a really great toolbox. Hey, my name is Felix Tia, and I'm the host of Shopify Masters, a weekly podcast powered by Shopify, the easiest way to sell online, in person, and anywhere in between. Each week, we invite entrepreneurs like you to share what they've learned growing successful e-commerce businesses. In this episode, you'll learn why you might want to get an MBA before starting your business, what is a brand book and what needs to go in the brand book, and how do you measure that you are making progress with building your brand? Today, I'm joined by Sally Christensen from Argent. Argent is on a mission to make clothing that equips women to push the envelope and take their seat at the table. And was started in 2016 and based out of Los Angeles, California. Welcome, Sally. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so you uh, you said you, you mentioned that you experienced a problem firsthand that you wanted to then start to solve with Argent. So tell us more about this. Like, what was what was like going on in your life at the time? What were you seeing that made you inspired to start a business like Argent? Yeah, so uh, honestly, recognition of the fact that no one loved workwear started very early on in my career. I was graduating from school, going into my first uh, job. I moved to Chicago, worked in banking. Every woman out there is probably nodding along, but no one has made workwear easy or intuitive or interesting or anything. And so um, it really dates back to almost back in 2007 that I graduated from school. And so I think it's always been this constant pain point throughout my career. I've worked in different cities. I've worked in different industries, um, really bounced around. And uh, it's been a pervasive frustration for me. And as we've made this shift towards a more casual workforce, no one's really kept up. And so it's almost as if this working has been an afterthought. It's a growing demographic. And so, uh, yeah, I think after a little under a decade of being frustrated with the fact that workwear is such a stale state, I... Um, I contemplated pursuing this. I was working at Cisco at the time, and uh, I read a study that showed that women are judged based on appearance. And for the first time, they quantified the impact of what you wear out on the line for your lifetime. It ends up being really significant. And so uh, that really was ultimately the catalyst. And so, yeah, so Argent launched the vision and goal of solving women's workwear through the lens of really redefining what that is and what that looks like. So introducing versatility, quality, or style um, and giving women pieces that they actually want to wear and truly like for the first time for some reason, which I, I know is, is quite confounding for such a massive category. Got it. So you mentioned that you worked at Cisco at the time and not necessarily known for uh, giving you experience in, in women's fashion. Was it something that you were like pursuing on the side, like learning about women's fashion? And like, how did you know how to even begin to design clothing? I do not design. I have not designed my career uh, started in finance. I studied an undergraduate study business, a heavy focus on accounting. And then, as I mentioned, I went back on my MBA, focused on supply chain, uh, knowing that that would round pretty nicely. Got a nice, I, I really, really advocate getting uh, your MBA, especially if you're going to start your own business. It's such an important, just gives you a, a really great toolbox going into starting a business. And then I got hired at Cisco in a leadership rotational program in their supply chain organization, um, which is essentially like this post-grad fast track, firsthand exposure to all the major functions within supply chain. Uh, and then my last year at Cisco, I actually spent uh, on a team. I was hired, uh, I was the seventh person on a team that grew to 250 people in a year. 
Uh, and it was uh, essentially a startup within a large organization. So it gave me really, really great experience as an entrepreneur. And so at the end of all of that, I just put in my notice and, and quit cold turkey. Quitting forced me to just um, go for it and own the experience in its entirety. My approach to that um, and to starting a business, I think my mindset was this will be a great experience regardless. Understanding and recognizing that failure you know, is a, is a very likely possible outcome. Okay, that, that makes sense. I definitely want to touch on that because I think that this is a, a reason that a lot of people don't start businesses that they, it, it, for, for to push causes they care about because they don't have the complete package, complete expertise to execute it, but you, you obviously did it by partnering correctly. So I want to talk about that in a second. But before we get there, I want to talk about your journey because this is a, an approach that I don't think I hear too often talked about in the entrepreneurship world, which is the college to MBA to entrepreneur, or actually more like to work at like a, a big company and then entrepreneur inside that company and eventually becoming an entrepreneur. So this is like a, 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 a I guess a longer path, but it sounded like it, it gave you the, the, the steps along the way so that you could kind of come out into that first game of yours in, and, and, you know, hit out of the ballpark. So let's talk about this. So you mentioned that MBA was something that you actually got a lot of value out of, which is almost sometimes counter to the advice that you typically hear today about the, you know, uselessness of an MBA is what you, what is commonly touted. So tell us more about this. Like, give us the, what you got out of the MBA that you want to convince other aspiring entrepreneurs to, to consider an MBA. Yeah, it, it is funny. This counter, I think, I think, anyone's career path has to be tied to how they ultimately tick. And so for me, the way that I um, thrive in any environment, any role is having a really good holistic understanding of whatever it is that I'm trying to do or trying to solve. Um, and then from there, I, I like details. And so from a business perspective, I felt like I was seeing functions within business, but I didn't necessarily have that holistic understanding that I wanted to. I don't know that I could have told you what supply chain and ops was beyond maybe a sentence um, when I pursued my MBA, which was in 2010 was my first year, you know, and it, I think I was also at just a different, different level of maturity than I was an undergrad where I really wanted to dig in and learn and commit to this program. And so I think, you know, I have had a lot of peers, friends that have stayed in the corporate world, friends that have smaller gigs uh, that have also gotten these and haven't necessarily taken those seriously and done it more as a check the box to accelerate their career. For me, it was about really, really, really learning business holistically, getting some more hands-on experience, expanding my network, um, and just spending more time in different, different functions and learning. I mean... To me, I find firsthand learning invaluable. And so it was such an incredible experience. As part of it, I actually got to work at Daimler. I went to Germany and lived there for uh, a little shy of a year. I got to work on my German and became close to fluent. Um, got to work, you know, get exposure uh, to international business firsthand. Um, and then came back and, and through all of that, landed this role at Cisco, which is on almost an MBA on top of an MBA, to be honest. Um, I wanted best-in-class supply chain experience. It, there's something very different learning in a classroom and then um, that applied knowledge. It just It's never as perfect as it is in a classroom. And so I got to spend six months in planning and manufacturing, six months in uh, product operations, six months in manufacturing operations six months in um, supplier management. And 
uh, got to work on a joint venture that we did with China. I was traveling back and forth to China, seeing all the contract manufacturers locally. So that experience was invaluable, I think, from MBA into real world experience and then into Argent. I I developed relationships. I had a, a sense of, I think, command over not only the subject matter, but also just myself personally. And I think that understanding your own leadership style and having intimate <laughs> and understanding as you can of your own blind spot is critical to be successful as an entrepreneur because it's the most vulnerable thing that you'll do. And so taking all of that into Argent, I think really set me up for success or as much as possible. And that's allowed us to get as far as we have. And it's not to say that any path is wrong. That's just my path uh, based on how I operate. Right. You mentioned that the way you operate is that you'd like to see the whole picture, in this case, the whole picture of running a business before you can feel comfortable, confident to move forward at full speed. Now, if someone out there is on the same path as you and is thinking about pursuing an MBA or maybe is about to begin one, what kind of advice would you give them on in terms of like how do you get the most out of it if you do plan to become an entrepreneur after leaving uh, the, the program? Yeah, I think, I think just really embracing uh, both learning and, and diving in because sometimes, I mean, it's not always pleasant and there's some projects that really probably aren't worth our time, but I think really like Spending the time on learning the material uh, and doing that for yourself, because why else would you be there at all? And some people really do go there just to get a higher paycheck coming out. And if you're going to be an entrepreneur, like you are, that's a cheat that I would not recommend because it's going to bite you in the end. Um, I think the other piece is just networking. I think networking is probably one of the most important parts of being a successful entrepreneur. And uh, during your MBA, you have it's it's a good opportunity to start um, networking with your classmates, networking beyond that to get internships, to potentially get a job if you take a job coming out of it, you know, and then go and start your company. Whatever it is, I think that um, relationships and relationship building is one of the most important aspects of business, no matter which path you take. So those are sort of the two pieces of advice I would have. And so you mentioned that with the MBA, then also coming out and working at a large company like Cisco, you actually did pick up valuable skills, transferable skills that can be applied to starting a, a business from scratch at, at a much, much, much smaller level. How quickly were you able to use th those skill sets? Because I, I can imagine that some skills are much more applicable or maybe only only ever come in handy when you are at a certain scale versus when you're just starting out. But were you able to use certain things? Like what were you able to use, I guess, from the, working in a large corporation from the get-go? I think there are a couple of things. So I, the first thing I did, I just printed out a business plan and looked through it and started jotting down notes for what I saw for Argent's future. Um, and I really like, I think from day one, I had a really crisp and clear vision of what Argent is and what it is that I envision building. And um, from my days at Cisco and from my days in my MBA program, I think that I moved around. I was asked to do different projects, asked to operate oftentimes in, in some ways. And so um, I think there's just sort of like a level of expectation that you operate quickly, thoroughly, in a way that looks at full picture and you have like a plan and you have your risk mitigation and you have your resourcing, you kind of map out all of the components of it. And then you sort of take away at whatever it is that you need in order to get something done and, and executed. But throughout, I think I really figured out how to set myself up for success for different projects that I worked on. I think I got better at that. And so when I started Argent, I think I immediately started applying 
some of the things that I learned from doing at Cisco, which is talking to as many people as possible, recognizing that I'm not the subject matter expert for starting a company and just mentally how people are going to fit into what I'm building. Two was let me look through every single thing that, you know, I poss- like could possibly need to think about over the next X years. And let me identify what the priorities are within that. Let me just start listing out risks within what I'm building and how to mitigate those risks. Just constantly ensuring that no decision that I make is, is a fatal misstep. I think that's the biggest watch out for a startup, especially early on. And just coming up with a plan. I think that in corporations, you go crazy because you're forced to do so many things that are perceived as bureaucratic. But at the same time, you're also moving this like behemoth of a company forward. And there's a lot of structure that goes in hand with that. So I probably was a bit more structured in my approach in some ways really early on and was afforded the opportunity to do that at Argent. I think those exercises that I did allowed us to have a lot of success in a lot of ways. Um, yeah, so I, I think that your approach is very methodical, which is going to work, which is great because I think that works for a lot of people. And you, 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 you map it out where you mapped out the path to success, and then you just kind of hit the ground and start knocking out each one thing at a time. When do you remember when you were first starting out? Like, what are some of the early tasks or early wins that proved the most valuable that you think other entrepreneurs that are just starting out should try to look for? Yeah, it's funny because I think I make it sound like really methodical. And so some of the things that proved invaluable that we still leverage and reference today, um, market research, I would say that was one of the things that I spent the most time on early on was um, I wrote a four-question survey, worked with a woman who had done this her entire career. We conducted the survey across a sample size of 400 people in two major markets and just gleaned so much inside information beyond my gut sense from who the customer was, putting hard data against that. We interviewed uh, women that all roughly landed in our target demographic and really just wanted to prove that this was a big problem than just myself and my peers. And then combed through census data to come up with a go-to-market strategy uh, and identifying which markets we wanted to go into and, and over what time period. And so um, those are all things that really, really proved invaluable. The other piece, which generally surprises me when entrepreneurs don't have it, was taking all the information that I had and then feeding it into a financial model. And that immediately became my roadmap to success, how I build this and how I spend my money and how I make money back, et cetera. And so I think I was surprised by how few people had experience building a financial model for uh, a company of our size. And so I ended up building it myself. So full of perfection and mistakes, but it ended up just being this guide for me. Um, I think figuring out how to create that, that numerical roadmap early is really important. And then obviously the last and the most important thing that we are building is our brand. Um, obviously our foundation is our product. And so a lot of our cash early on went towards um, just creating something that was unique. Um, and I think on the, from, on the brand side, that's where we really today have our unfair competitive advantage because day one, we were unbelievably thorough in identifying what our mission was, what our values are, what we stand for. In my opinion, a lot of, a lot of the business side, you can correct later on. The brand side and the product's much harder to correct and trying to get the brand right from day one was something that uh, I spent a lot of time on. We still have regular exercises around that. You know, it's a constant exercise of just improvement again, but being really clear on that vision early on and, and having 
um, spent a lot of time on that. It's something I'll never regret in those early stages. Okay, guys. So a few things I want to touch on. So you mentioned market research, you go to market strategy, the financial model, and then also branding. So let's talk about the market research. I think this is a uh, the almost like the the raw ingredients that you need to even begin a lot of this stuff. Like why would you even start a business if you don't know if the market is viable or not? So tell us about this. Like what needs to go into your market research? What are you? I guess what are you looking to to get out of the the exercise of the market research? Yeah, I think a lot of things that I touched on, honestly, are all intended to go into a pitch deck and then attract your first set of angel investors. Um, So market research, uh, what's the market size? So, and I'll mess this up so badly, but it's the total addressable market, the serviceable market, and whatever that other one is within there. (laughs) Serviceable, addressable, I forget. But essentially, what's your market size? What's the uh, ours is a 34.9 billion annual spend in the U.S. That's what women spend on work apparel just in the U.S. And within that, like we think we can actually capture a, a 10 to 12 billion annual spend, which is a massive market. And you want to get as specific as you can with who that is and how you're going to capture it and understand them. The other piece that you used what's the profile of the customer? Who's our core customer? Who are some fringe customers that we expect to capture? Age. Uh, buying behavior, anything that you can possibly know about this person uh, goes into this. So when you want to figure out who your core customer is, was that when you were going through this research, did the core customer end up being the core core customer that you thought you would go after from the beginning? Uh, Yes, tweaked a little bit. I think it aligned with my gut of go after uh, someone in the prime of their careers. I think that I learned a lot about that customer through our market research, though, that I hadn't necessarily recognized. I think my understanding of the customer was quite simple. And going through the exercise of doing market research allowed me to expand on my knowledge and then ultimately resulted in a different outcome, honestly, for, for our go-to-market strategy, So, um, which is a good thing. Mm. Now, when you were trying to understand more about your customer, what are some key questions that you w- would recommend people ask to learn more about their customer? So for us, uh, it was about buying behavior. So where, like, where do you like to buy? Are you shopping online? Are you shopping through other retailers? Are you liking, you know, pop-ups and going directly to these new D2C brands that are popping up? So trying to glean how, how customers like to buy. Other questions would be around a lot of them were, were work clothing specific. What, do you, what are you wearing to work? What do you prefer to wear to work? Uh, is your workplace sh- shifting? How many days are you going to the office? You know, just trying to understand um, this customer lens of, of what their needs are from a work perspective. Um, and sometimes you ask things that aren't even remotely related to what you're building or seemingly not related to what you're building, but they do all shape your understanding of this customer. Uh, are they consuming TV? Are they active? Are they, what are they eating? What are they reading? The more data you have, the better equipped you are. Right. So I think a lot of times when people do market research, they are very focused on on the product, right? What products are they are customers already buying? Like what do they think about your product? What do you think about your offer? But you're saying that what's what's maybe more important is like their their uh, behavior. Can you talk more about this? Like why like how does their behavior uh impact your 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 business, your go-to-market strategy, your messaging? Yeah, I mean, it, it chips everything. I mean, it, it's literally, in terms of where we landed with our product, how it ended up shaping it, 
we are customer led in our design process. So we understand that this woman wants more out of her clothing. And right now she's not getting things out of her clothes. So um, understanding that she's biking to work uh, or commuting to work and needs places to carry her stuff and doesn't necessarily want to carry a bag. So we, we introduced interior pockets in our blazers. We use stretchy products. So um, it allows you to move the pro- the the fabrics are breathing. So if you're working up a sweat on your bike ride to work, um, we've got you, we've got reflectors in, um, when you flip up the collar, uh, on the blazer, just little subtle things like that. And then in terms of, uh, our copy, our copy is geared really specifically at this certain woman. Everything we do is geared towards a certain woman where we show up, where we sell. Everything is driven based on our knowledge and understanding of our customer base. So there, there's probably like different profiles that come out of this, right? Whereas yeah. there's like the woman, like you mentioned, that are bike, that's biking to work. So you, you, you built it into your product. But I'm assuming that your customer base spans more than people that are biking to work. So how do you balance the, 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 the differences, I guess, between one profile that might stand out just as equally as strong as another in terms of like a lot of people are, 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 are saying that they are bikers versus a lot of people are saying, oh, I commute on a train to work. So how do you decide which one to focus on? Yeah, that's a really hard one. I think um, I have been pretty unapologetic about being hyper-focused on a certain audience for Argent. And that's not, the revenue doesn't always support that decision. We're selling to women that span a much, a much broader like audience than um, who we've defined as our core customer. Um, but I feel strongly staying around that core customer because you're always going to capture someone out, outside of who you've defined your customer to be. And so our approach towards that is uh, it, it's better to stand for something and it's better to be really focused on someone than it is to try and do too much for too many because the worst thing that you could do is make someone that you identify as your core because the second you start doing that, you start trying to capture a bigger audience the second that people start losing interest, especially Nowadays, um, what we learned from our market research is that customers want to buy into more than just a product today, especially millennials. Um, millennials buy into a brand that they believe in, a brand who they share values with. Uh, and so we're, we're really sensitive to that and we're being really thoughtful and mindful that customer is. I was going to say, yeah, I think that a lot of uh, entrepreneurs have this fear that if they become too hyper-focused, that they will lose all customers outside of that exact customer. But you're saying that there's still the fringe customers that are going to become your customers because they are maybe aspirational and want to become like the, the ideal customer or they have shared values. I think Patagonia is a really good example where a lot of people wear their clothing, but not everyone is you know, climbing mountains every, every weekend, but that, that's the aspirational lifestyle that they're going for. So I think that's an important point because there, people do try to serve too many because they think that by being hyper-focused, they, they will completely say, they could basically cut off everyone else. But in your experience, that's not the case. No, not at all. And I think, I mean, I could even identify areas of the business that we could go into right now, but I just think that that's a risk, especially like, and I think that we have a long way to go. Like we're, we're nobody. So few people know about us still. And we're, uh, what, three years in now. And we've had a ton of success and it's absolutely resonated with the audience we wanted to resonate with, but it's a, it's a really big opportunity. And just with our core offering with our core consumer, 
um, we still have more people to capture than we've captured, you know? And so just remembering that and not trying to do too much for too many. Um, I, that's my path towards success. I know everyone takes a different one, but I, me, I, I advocate that approach. I think that sets you up for success more than the alternative. Right. You said that you're unapologetically hyper-focused. So you don't even have this nagging feeling to try to serve more. Because I think that that's the biggest element that entrepreneurs have is that they want to serve more or larger kind of more general, I guess, demographic. But is it that you are just naturally able to focus on a particular or be, be unapologetic? and apologetically focus on a particular customer or did you have to learn how to do this? I think I benefit from being our customer. I am our core customer. It helps a lot. Um, and what we're building is almost an extension of myself. Uh, and so I think that helps me stay tight. I don't think I had to learn it. It just, it almost me living out like my best customer experiences at other brands um, and recognizing that the ones that have stayed focused have been the ones that I've stayed loyal to. And so I think that's played out here at Argent. Right. That makes sense. Okay. So let's talk about the the financial model. You mentioned that this was one that surprised you that a lot of businesses, a lot of entrepreneurs kind of ventured out into the world without having any kind of financial model. So what numbers what numbers did you really want to 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 I guess glean out of creating this model? Yeah, so um, I I failed to mention this earlier. This is a very 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 important part of starting a business. Um, there's a high barrier to entry in our world uh, because we made product and then to market with it, and that's pr- a pretty expensive undertaking that required investment. And so early on, one of the first things I did was started, I started meeting with advisors that could potentially invest. And I think in the back of my mind, I wanted to invest. Um, I went ahead and got them involved early, early on way before I had a financial model or I had any inkling in terms of how much money I'd need to raise or what that process even looked like. I established, and I probably learned this from Cisco days, I established a meeting cadence with them. So I'd meet once every month, few advisors that I did this with, and I would just show them progress and I had them bought in on the process. And so I think, you know, I was working on really telling and crafting our story and, and figuring out how to, how we were going to attack this and the financial model ultimately became the last piece of that. My goal with the model was to identify how much money we needed to raise in order to get to our next, next critical milestone. Um, I think that was the biggest thing. And then we actually projected out five years. I think three years is more than appropriate. Um, and what you hope to accomplish is, is very real for the next six months, um, your best guess for the next year. And then, I mean, it's really everybody's best guess the next three years, but you want to map out a believable story um, that you use to make your day-to-day decisions as well as to share your story with potential investors. So it ended up uh, allowing us to suss out how much money we needed to raise and how much money we needed to uh, put towards certain things and budget for certain things. Uh, so we didn't get ahead of ourselves on, on spending because that's an easy thing to do. Um, and then just to tell our story, which is you're not going to, I mean, I guess some people do get money without this, but you're not going to get legitimate investment without being able to show that model. I got it. So I think uh, this is also important, which is that you did not wait until you needed the money before you started uh, essentially looking for investors and and talking to them. Like the first time they saw you wasn't 
when you're asking them for money. And I think this is a very, I think I like this approach because it's similar to what you mentioned before about, I think you said something about customer-led design. I started, I'm starting to see this more where uh, businesses are including the customers super, super early on to get them to help in, in the investing in the, the design or maybe even like the, the, the branding, the messaging, so they're bought into it. And you did the same thing with the advisors. You got them involved early on, so now they are, they feel like they're more part of it and they're more uh, invested in that way. So if someone wants to take the same approach where they want to start introducing this idea, start kind of uh, planting the seed essentially with the advisors, how did, how did you get them involved early on? Where were you finding advisors? Yeah, so I I just reached out to my network. I started meeting with both directly connected with and then connected to through other contacts. I would say one of my bigger skills is is networking and, and piecing together the team. So I I think my goal was to get I, I didn't do a friendly round. I wanted money from people who could serve as advisors informally. Um, and represented different parts of the business and had had uh, firsthand experience and success within those parts of the business. And so I just reached out and asked, you know, more often than not, and it ended up working. I, I you know, would land a meeting with, um, you know, whoever, and I would go in and I'd be as buttoned up as possible and say, this is my vision. I you know, I'd really like to own women's workwear. Moreover, I really see an opportunity to change the conversation on women in the workplace and leverage the power brand to to do that. And, and, you know, it's not fully baked yet. And here are the steps that I'm anticipating needing to take, you know, next. And I really value your experience within the world of advertising, or I really admire your accomplishments within the world of retail and would love your involvement. And what that looks like right now to me is, um, you know, just just getting the opportunity to meet with you once a month if you'd be willing to carve out the time and um, just be a founding to me and so that was that was the initial the initial conversation I I don't advocate mentioning fundraising ever in any conversation mm-hmm. until you're a hundred percent buttoned up and ready so I didn't even mention that and I remember in one of those meetings someone actually said yeah like yeah, I would love to be involved and in I'd actually love to be your first investor when the time comes so that person did ended up end up writing a check but it was really more about building the right team and getting the right players in the corner. And all of those, all those individuals have helped us in so many ways because they were really bought in very early on, on the vision and on, on me and, and on, on us being successful. And I think that's so important from an investment community. Right. And you mentioned, you know, don't go into this meeting basically with the premise that it is a pitch to raise money. So what is the premise when you are setting this up? If you are, you're reaching out, you're networking, you you get you get the, the opportunity to ask an advisor or ask the gatekeeper that books appointments with the advisor to 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 meet with them. Like what is the the question? What is the purpose of this meeting? Like what's your answer to that? Yeah, um, I'm starting a company and I would love the opportunity to share my idea with so-and-so given um, his or her background and experience, I feel like it's a really valuable conversation and it could be not, you know, just that just love your time for 30 minutes. And I just want to share what I'm working on. And more often than not, uh, I know that I fall into this camp, like people just want it forward and people want to be helpful, at least the right kind of people. Uh, and so 30 minutes isn't, isn't a lot to ask. I think sometimes we're too scared to ask if, when in actuality, I think we're doing both parties a disservice. I think that people really do want to help where they can. Hey, 
Real quick, if you're enjoying the show, please leave us a review on iTunes. Let us know what you think or what you'd like to hear more of. Now, let's get back to the interview. Right, that makes sense. So you, you mentioned that this you were able to do a lot of this because you one of your strongest skill sets is networking. And you mentioned earlier that you are also good at recognizing your blind spots. So how do you recognize a blind spot? Like, What are you looking for to be like, okay, yeah, that's something that I cannot do. Well, I should hire someone or partner with someone to, to help out with this particular area of the business. Yeah, um, I have a lot of blind spots. You want them all? Uh, I think... Some of it comes from experience. Like some of it definitely comes from, um, and this is where I think I, my default was, let me go into the corporate world. Let me take leadership courses and um, test personality tests and this, that, and the other, but all of those things coupled with really intense professional experiences um, helped me learn a ton about myself and a ton about other people uh, and how to, move things forward as a team. It's not about just you. It's about knowing yourself really, really, really well, as well as you possibly can. And also understanding that not everyone is like you and the most painful collab, oftentimes people that are exactly opposite you and drive you crazy. Um, but that's where your output together is, is the most productive. And so I think for for me, I immediately recognize the fact that I am our customer, but I am not someone that should be designing clothes because had that been the case, we would have been out of business and, you know, before we launched. And so building a design team that can cover that blind spot for me, having advisors that aesthetically are very elevated um, has been super important again, because I, I have a gut sense on things and my like visual understanding of what Arjun is and what it looks like, but I'm still not the expert. Um, So I think I have blind spots, you know, more broadly speaking with what we're building, but I also have blind spots within business as well um, that I'm constantly trying to augment with my staff so I can focus on what I am good at. And, And I think the goal is just to hire people that aren't exactly like me and that's always been the goal. I think that's sort of another flag for me. Um, sometimes I meet entrepreneurs and hey, never say never, but um, I've met entrepreneurs that are the exact same profile that are starting a company together. And you really want to see diversity of thought, approach and, and skill set, um, especially with a founding team or with, with those first couple of hires. Um, so that's that's kind of what I'm always trying to do is, is hire uh, people that, that fill the gaps and then constantly seeking feedback. Um, all of those things are really, really important in a startup. Yeah, so I think the important thing here is that having blind spots and maybe even a lot of blind spots or not blind spots, but more like weaknesses or areas of uh, that, you, that need improvement is not like a death knell for someone that wants to start a business because you can partner or hire in areas that, that you are weak. I think the, the challenge that people have is that they don't feel comfortable hiring or directing a a partner or a hire because they lack so much in that area. So how do you make sure that you can kind of provide the right guidance or input when it is in an area that you are weak in, but you've hired for? Yeah. A lot of times it's trust and and giving that person autonomy, um, creating frameworks where we have advisors that cover blind spots that I have uh, that, that we're constantly sourcing feedback and input from. And then trusting the fact that I'm our customer. And sometimes my reaction isn't a reaction. Even if something's really elevated aesthetically, it may not necessarily work for our customer. It may just be too much and not quite accessible enough. Um, so it's a combination of things. But 
um, at the end of the day, it really does come down to developing rapport and trust with people that you're putting in these roles. And that does take time. But once once that's established, I mean, this this person is going to be one of the most invaluable resources to you. And you figure out how to bring in what you know um, in a way that's valuable for them that improves their output. But also, I'm, I'm trying to create you know, opportunities for them to get mentorship and support creatively because they need that as well. And we may not necessarily have it from me or internally. So just getting, getting creative, I think is, uh, is the way we make it work. Mm. So you also mentioned that, uh, one of the, one of the key things that you focus on early on was, uh, building and spending time on, on the brand side. So what does it mean to you to, to build, to build a brand? So I think this is a big kind of undertaking and it involves a lot. So at the end of the day, what are you looking for when you say, okay, I have a brand? I think that we all have brands that we know and we love and there's so much more behind the scenes but it just comes together in a way that makes you just feel some sort of affinity to their product to their community you you buy into everything that it is that they're saying and doing um i think that it starts with extensive conversation around um what's our vision what's the problem how are we solving it what do we stand for? What are our values? What are our beliefs? What, you know, in articulating that both verbally and then bringing that to life visually, two different things and the world consumes differently. Like everyone, you and I, every single person consumes things differently. So I, I really react to words more strongly. I do, the experience is an important part to me. I'm not as visual. So, um, you know, we all just experience things in a different way. And so it's being as consistent as you possibly can be across every customer touch point um, and across every internal touch point because um, it's, it's your everything. Um, it, it's who you are. It's why your team shows up. It's why your customer shows up to buy. It's, um, it's, it's what people come to know. Um, and it, it takes shape in your product. It takes shape in your retail settings. It takes shape on your website. It takes shape in the form of a logo mark and, a font, uh, that's unique to your company, um, in copy and in taglines, there's, there's a lot there. We're actually constantly like revisiting everything and just tightening it up and tightening it up at every inflection point at Argent. It's such an important part of, of what we're building though. I mean, I think to me, one of my favorite brands right now would be Peloton. I think they've done just such an excellent job of, of building this community, offering a service and doing something that really adds value to people and it's cohesive and it's consistent and it hasn't really deviated since it launched. And I think that's what consumers are looking for more and more nowadays, especially. Got it. You know, this reminds me of this, uh, I swear this is going to be related, but I saw this uh, crazy Japanese game show where these people are playing soccer with binoculars, but everyone feels wearing binoculars and they're trying to, you know, obviously score a goal. And I feel like building a brand is similar to that, where you are so, so, so focused on day to day, but the goal is such a larger transformation for the entire brand as a whole. How do you map it out? How do you map out like, okay, this is where I want to take the brand and distill it down to, okay, here's what you do, here's what I do, here's what you do, and kind of break it down into actual tasks. How do you map that out? It's so hard. It is so hard. Um, uh, sometimes there's more redundancy than you probably need. I am more involved in the details than I think people would believe still. Uh, 
I think a lot of entrepreneur founder entrepreneurs are. We hire people um, both internally and through agencies to own something and we scope it out and we give out tasks and we give out um, responsibility and then with the goal of some specific output, that's how we do it. Um, yeah, I guess I guess a question I have then is, is it do you just kind of live with that that is going to be inefficient because you want coverage like overlap everywhere like over message your you know i guess your your brand or do you want to go the other way which is to try to be more efficient and and not have this kind of redundancy like you mentioned in an ideal world you don't well you don't have a ton of redundancy obviously you don't have, and you have trusted partners that can take things and um deliver them to you in a way that requires like you know um allows you to apply your understanding of the brand, but um, also allows them to move forward and, and deliver. So I probably skew more le- like the direction of less redundancy, which is a really funny way to say that, um, out of the interest of our, our resources, resourcing. I think that when you get in a place where there is redundancy, it's generally because you don't have the right team members in place. And when that happens, it creates friction that does not belong in a startup and you have to quickly address it and just get rid of that it is not supposed to be um that hard and sometimes you know it has been sometimes we've had the wrong uh, on board and so it's just a matter of finding the right partners and just holding on got it awesome so i'll kind of leave you with this this last question which is uh, what was like the biggest lesson that you or that the team the company learned last year that you want to make sure you apply to the way you do things this year this has been uh, a learning for me too i've been talking about starting argent we have never marketed, actually. So that's been intentional. It's been largely because we want to understand customer as purely as we can. And we want to understand organically, like how she interacting with our company, with our product, what's working, what isn't, how do we iron out our foundation and make our product as perfect as possible. So we've really largely relied on, we've taken all of that customer information and we've now fed it into uh, what we've crafted uh, our marketing plan. And so um, there have been a ton of mistakes we've made uh, just in the last year alone that we feel like we've now corrected that will that will now come out in a bigger way uh, on the branding side, on the product side, and on the go-to-market side. So um, it's not necessarily like, oh, we made this mistake. It's more we've spent this time to really learn the market and now taking that information and we're um, going to amplify our messaging and, and our what we're building for the first time, which I'm super excited about. So that'll all happen in the next couple months. Awesome. You're definitely going to scale things to another level. So thank you so much for your time, Sally. So Argent is the company at argentwork.com, A-R-G-E-N-T-W-O-R-K.com. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story. This is super fun. Thank you for having me. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Shopify Masters, the e-commerce podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs powered by Shopify. To get your exclusive 30-day extended trial, visit shopify.com slash masters.